0: Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, huddle.care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strength-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry here with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. This is the third and last session that I'm having here with Jim. Um, So Jim, just listened to the consultation that I had with Dr. Anya Schmitz, and we will talk about that or other things um, that Jim would like to talk about. So where should we get started?
1: Um, Yeah, just something that I'm proud of this week. Um, It's... uh, it has to do with, you know, I, I said earlier that I, that I have a, a kind of chronic condition um, and that, you know, some of my content is there around health, but just separate from the health content, some of the symptoms sometimes um, would cause me to get really anxious because I was parsing them as symptoms of like an impending panic attack. So in other words, something like nausea or, you know, dizziness or lightheadedness would show up um, and I'd be like, oh, no, like this, you know, th- this, uh, this, this is pr- potentially the precursor to a panic attack. Um, and I've been able to kind of shift my attitude on that um, recently um, and conceptualize of those things when they come. So, so, like j- to just realize that those things aren't necessarily a symptom of an impending panic attack, but they might actually be just symptoms of, uh, of the condition that I have. and that you know, that, that it's kind of okay when those things come on to just treat them a little more neutrally, you know, just, just to, to look at so the, the kind of self-talk that I've been doing is, oh, you know, I guess I'm not feeling well. Um, you know, This doesn't have to be related to a panic attack. Um, it could just be that I am, you know, overdoing it a little bit. And, uh, you know, maybe I should take a break until I feel better, rather than the, the way that I've been thinking about it before. And this has been, you know, really helpful, actually.
0: Okay, two questions for you. There's a lot of uncertainty there. How do you, number one, know that it isn't something more serious? And number two, how do you know it's not going to become anxiety?
1: Yeah, I guess I don't. Um, uh, You know, know, I think, I guess it's kind of a leap of faith thing. Like, I I feel like especially now that I'm having a different process around it um, and that I'm expecting it uh, to happen, from time to time and that, that, that my response to it can be not, oh no, I'm going to have a panic attack or, oh no, you know, now I'm not going to be able to get a bunch of work done or or something like that. Like choosing to have a different response initially um, has been really helpful. Um,
0: And so tell me how, so that's great because those uncertainties of how do I know that this isn't a part of my medical condition and indication that I'm getting much worse or how do I know that this isn't going to become a panic attack are uncertainties that you've had for years so what has happened that you suddenly have an attitude shift
1: um I I think I think it's just been connecting it back to I think connecting it back to the condition rather than um you know, like this time last year, I was getting this kind of lightheadedness and stuff like that, and I assumed it was all just a function of anxiety, rather than um, you know I've gotten a better understanding of that um, symptom in the course of of the condition that I have. Like it's actually a, a common symptom. I think that's been helpful um, because at least around my condition, um, you know, I've gotten to have quite a bit more compassion for myself around that. Um, over over time maybe more so than i do about you know uh anxiety in general um <clears throat> i'm not sure i mean i guess um it might just be you know might, might just be cultural in a, in a way like i wish i could say that i had you know pure compassion for myself and my anxiety and that i don't view it as like a weakness or a failing um but i think i think that i, I must in some in some way because you know with with the health condition thing, it's a lot easier to go like, well, this isn't a personal, you know, this isn't a personal failing. Um, you know, this is something that happened to me, uh, you know, not something I'm doing to myself. Um, whereas that, that's often my attitude about anxiety as well, but I think in kind of a deep seated way, or, you know, just the default way of thinking for me is that, you know, the, the anxiety stuff, you know, I, I feel like maybe there's a lot of, I shouldn't have this, you know, or I, you know, um, it just, it feels, it feels quite a bit different if, it, if, it, if I would attribute it to anxiety versus attributing it to, to, to the condition.
0: So I wonder if you had some of that thinking <laughs> initially with your medical condition where, um, you know, yeah. right when you were diagnosed or before I imagine, it was really wreaking havoc on your life. So like I shouldn't, thinking like I shouldn't have this yeah. It shouldn't have happened must have been the initial reaction can you say more about your initial reaction
1: yeah it definitely was like like i thought um you know that, that basically that, that my ability to deal with it would be a function of like my strength or or you know my ability to persevere rather than um you know something external you know rather than rather than something uh, about the condition itself right so yeah no i think early on and so that's what i mean i kind of had developed. Uh, more muscle around talking to myself about my condition in a more compassionate way, you know, and viewing it as as something sad that happened, um, you know, something something I can be sad about, and uh, you know, something I can say is you know not particularly fair, um, and and but then not my, blame myself for it, um, you know, this is a genetic plus environmental thing, like I didn't do anything, but then you know a lot of that same logic applies to anxiety actually as well, but somehow. Um, you know, I guess I, it, it's just a little bit harder, um, probably due to, you know, things like culture and stuff like that. I think it's it, but it, seems, it has been a little harder to be that forgiving with myself. If the genesis of the feelings are anxiety, I think, but I'm not okay. awful at it either. You know, I, I can, you know, I, I'm, I'm much more compassionate with myself about my anxiety than I ever was.
0: And what do you mean by being that forgiving? Like if you were um completely surrendering to a compassionate stance towards the experience of anxiety what would you be doing differently
1: i mean i think i would i think i would accept that um that that i don't you know that that, that it is not something that you have a hundred percent of control over right that 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 it it can come it can go um and that um you, know, you can do you can do things to to get better at dealing with it, but like at the end of the day, you know there's a there's a sort of biological predisposition towards it. Um, that idea that you know that that, that that anxiety is a normal thing that lots of people feel but that um, I probably have uh, a stronger physical sensation from anxiety than a lot of people that that's been really helpful uh, just for keeping in mind that um, you know. I I think the surrender on that would look, would look a lot more like that, 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 you know, me just saying that, like, well, you know, this was the, this was the deck of cards that I got in terms of, uh, in terms of the sensitivity to this. And, you know, of course, I'm going to um, find it really unpleasant if the, if the sensations of anxiety, you know, are, are, you know, maybe unusually high for me. Um, Yeah.
0: And if, if I can just, talk a little bit more both about that biological vulnerability and how challenging it is to recover. I really see recovery as um, including several different components. And so first off, the first thing is really accepting that what you're experiencing is a biological vulnerability. And so yes, anxiety is a normal, natural, healthy, and adaptive reaction to a threat or perceived threat. And so everybody has fear circuitry. So everybody has Basically, the same sensations and the same types of catastrophic thoughts under certain tr- when they're triggered in certain ways. But it's true that under stress, not everyone's going to have unwanted intrusive harm thoughts, or not everybody's going to get a rapid heartbeat, or um, you know, blushing is something that only happens to some people. So there's certainly some types of anxiety reactions that are some people are more biologically vulnerable vulnerable to than other people. Um, But so once you kind of understand and accept that, you then have to cope, you then have to learn how to cope with the symptoms, which are the, the sensations, the thoughts and the feelings, which I think we talk a lot about, about kind of doing exposure and wanting and being willing to experience the thoughts, feelings and sensations. But I think a couple other components of recovery are also then Learning how to cope with the fact that this could happen at any time and kind of changing your self-concept, like not in a way that is self-critical, but rather in a way that is accepting of the biological vulnerability that you have and now the skills that you're developing. And then I think processing what it means for the future of for some people, it's the by the time they get to therapy, their anxiety has actually impacted where they go to school or what kind of work they do or what kind of relationships they have. Um, So all of those things are like um, part of the recovery process from an anxiety disorder. And I kind of think about um, you're recovered or you're in maintenance when you accept it as a biological vulnerability you know how to respond to the symptoms of your anxiety disorder, and then you've integrated in, into your life in a way that when it comes back, because it will, it doesn't blindside you or cause you to spiral into um, like shame and self-criticism. Um, so I think that's a little bit tangential to what you were saying, but I guess there's a kind of a layer of compassion that has to be on top of all of those things. I'm wondering actually what your reaction is to thinking about recovery in that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty good just in terms of like the, especially the stuff of like when it comes back, how you might feel and things. So, so having, having had that, you know, ha- having had kind of peaks and, and valleys um, in the last few years, it's been helpful to get some, um, some practice on, thing, on it coming back. And, um, and, and sort of starting to know what, what that looks like and being able to predict what will happen there. Um, you know, just how you feel sometimes hopeless, you know, and, and think like, oh, you know, this is, this is forever, you know, and, and it's always going to come, you know, it's always going to come back. Um, but, you know, there, there are a number of different attitudes that you could have about that. Um, and the hopelessness one, um, you know, wants to show up in the moment, um, but a good way to counter that I've found is um is to just remember you know that uh, it coming back you know the, the the whole thing comes back, including the 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 recovery you know in other words mm-hmm. when when it when it comes back, it feels like you're you're back in this awful place and you'll be there forever, but actually what's come back is you know this temporary thing that won't last you know won't last very long at all necessarily um you know, in my case, I often bounce back pretty quickly. Um, and, and especially, you know, thinking about just thinking about that. That's been really helpful with panic attacks. It's like, you know, I'm not going to feel this way forever.
0: Yeah. And, and your new situation is not just or like what's come back is not just the triggers and the sensations, but also the recovery. You still have memories from your recovery and you still have your skills that you've learned in the last time you've recovered.
1: Yeah yeah like it's not going to feel like this forever
0: that's great are are, do you want to be more specific about when it's felt like you've been you've kind of recovered from anxiety and then um i don't think relapse is the right word but like when you're when your anxieties come back under what conditions are you triggered again
1: yeah i mean it, it could be anything you know not getting enough sleep or a sudden spike in stress at work or just, uh, you know, kind of out of the blue, um, you know, not having, a, you know, sometimes the spikes in stress at work are actually fine because there's problem solving to do, right? Um, you know, sometimes it comes back when there are no problems, to, you know, when, when when the number of problems to solve has, has gotten suddenly low, you would think that that would be a, g- a good time to relax, but that's often a good time for anxiety to show up as well. Um, and, and so, yeah, so, so that often happens. And just keeping in mind that... Uh, you know, none of this so far for me has been permanent. You know, I've never had a particular feeling last more than a week.
0: That's really compassionate that even a week doesn't feel like too long for you. Can you say more about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, and and it can, you know, a a week is plenty of time to to be really, really miserable, but just, yeah, the idea that, um, well, because I think for me, a lot of the fear early on was like, Oh this is forever you know this is this is the new normal uh, or you know I'm going to feel like this forever uh, that has been um, a good thing to get perspective about um, you know that that it's it's I think it's probably pretty unusual for someone to feel something forever you know whether that's happiness you know um, you know at least for for happiness you know you, humans have evolved uh you know hedonic adaptation where you can't, you know, whatever makes you happy will, will not make you happy forever. I would assume that, um, that a process like that might be in place for any number of feelings. Like, you know, for instance, after a breakup, you know, that, that, you know, it's reminiscent because that always feels to people like, you know, it'll, you'll, you'll never, you know, things will never go back to normal, um, you know, uh, when you're a teenager and your first relationship ends. But, you know, eventually it does. Um, and I'm sure there are some things that are much more persistent, you know, certain kinds of grief and things like that. But but I've found, at least for me, none of my feelings have a ton of staying power. And that's a, a good thing.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to say about that. First off, yeah, the one, um, one foundational principle is that the nature of life is change. So you're never going to have uh, the same sensation, thought or feeling forever. And even when you're saying... Uh, about a week that is like the state of a that I think you're describing a state not a sensation feeling or um, thought itself and yeah. I think one way to work through that if you're if you're in a state right now um, uh, you know to people that are listening is to try to get really um, really observant of small changes in what you're thinking, feeling, and sensing, Um, because oftentimes it'll just, it all, it all feels like anxiety all the time, or it all feels like depression all the time, but there is actually a difference between the morning and the evening in terms of how hungry you are, how much energy you have, um, how much your arms and legs are tingling, like there's just what you're, what your mind is preoccupied by. So there is variation. It might be miserable variation, but even attending to the variation can help your mind um, kind of mindfully notice that and then hopefully get out of it. Um, And the other thing that I wanna comment on is the way that anticipatory anxiety keeps things going. So in addition to hopelessness, um, as you were describing, like once you're in a, you're experiencing a certain combination of thoughts, feelings, and sensations, if you're feeling hopeless about it and then adding anticipatory anxiety so saying like this is terrible i can't handle this and that's helplessness i guess but hopelessness is like this is never going to go away and oh no what if i feel this forever what are the consequences going to be and if your mind is off to the races about what this means for three weeks or three years or 30 years from now then not only are you not in the moment noticing the variation in your experience but you're also resensitizing yourself to anything else you experience so if as you think that You get another spike of adrenaline. It's going to reinforce the idea that you're going to just keep having it. So when people are in an anxious or a mood episode, often what's happening is they're waking up every morning, scanning for what they're thinking and feeling, and then noticing, oh no, this is this feels like it did yesterday. This is going to be another bad day, and that reinforces the thoughts, feelings, and sensations that kept the episode going yesterday. Also. Um, do you have thoughts about anticipatory anxiety or like how how the dynamics I just described will will keep people stuck?
1: yeah, i'm I'm kind of glad that you said that that way because it it makes me uh, able to say something I said earlier a lot more accurately. I wouldn't have the same feeling for a week, like you said. i I think you know, for me, like a panic attack is like uh, an earthquake uh, in in the sense that you know aftershocks are potentially a thing. Like if I have a big panic attack, it kind of echoes. For a week or, or so um and that's what i meant by that that kind of feeling feel being stuck in something for a week but the way it actually is is it's not you know i'm not having a panic attack for an entire week um, it is exactly what you described you know scanning for, for for certain feelings and uh you know feeling helpless and hopeless in, in the presence of those feelings it is you know being worried about my wife going to bed because then I'll be kind of alone with it, um, you know, if, if I'm staying up later than she is, um, you know, it, it's all that kind of thing that's going on in that week. So being worried that it's going to happen again is is often how it plays out. And I think what's interesting is, um, is I think that it does intersect with my condition, you know, somewhat. So, you know, if, if I'm having a particularly um, large amount of lightheadedness and dizziness and stomach upset, which all come together, you know, it's all, it's all related to um, kind of dysautonomia uh, for me. Um, you know, so um, so you know that that that's a symptom of my condition. So if so early on, I think I think what was happening this time last year is I would get uh, you know I would get a spike of those symptoms, and um, and it, and you know I would I would panic uh, in the light of those symptoms. Um, but since it was kind of being driven by something un- like an underlying physiological thing i'd wake up the next day and still feel like my stomach wasn't quite right you know I, I lost like 15 pounds last summer um because my digestion was so slow that every time i every time i ate you know it made me feel pretty miserable um and i connected it back to panic you know i just wasn't aware of the physiological process i thought it was all a, a kind of panic attack thing and i was worried that if i ate i'd have a panic attack um, so, you know, I, I, I started eating a lot less, but, um, but this whole thing was playing out. You know, I think the, initially the physiological thing would drive the initial thing. And then I'd wake up just like you said the next morning and I'd feel still weird in my stomach. And I'd be like, oh no, like that means this is still going on. I have to be watching out, I'm scared all day that I'm gonna have, a, have another panic attack. Um, you know, uh, in the last week or so, I've started to have a lot more lightheadedness. Um, and and some of those digestive issues again, but it has not had the same, hasn't felt nearly as threatening as it did last year.
0: And was there anything, did you actually get new information about your medical condition?
1: Yes, yeah, that was part of it, and that helped for sure.
0: And was that related to avoidance? Like, is part of accepting your medical condition helped you actually get more information about it so that you can make this discrimination?
1: Yeah, I think so, And, and just other things, you know, that I wouldn't have necessarily done before, Like, um, you know, like being more open with, with, you know, friends and family about what is going on with me because I feel less ashamed of it. Right. So that thing last year, when this was going on, you know, I'd tell my wife about it um, and tell her, you know, that I was scared and stuff like that. Um, And that led to her like doing some, uh, some research and saying, like, you know, I think, you know, that that this is probably related to, to, um, you know, some of the neurological issues. aspects of, of, of this condition that I've got. Um, and, and yeah, so that helped. Like it was all, all of those things is uh, being more accepting of the condition and being more, you know, fighting against the shame in a way by, by you know, in the presence of shame where I wanna isolate and and not share what I'm feeling with other people kind of doing the opposite of what the shame is telling you. All of that has been really helpful in getting to this spot where now, you know, I, I, otherwise I wouldn't have probably discovered this information that has been, um, really helpful in treating this like less of a threat.
0: Yeah, all of that's wonderful, and I just want to reinforce it for any medical condition or any psychological condition that um, the symptoms themselves are painful, but then the shame of having it in the first place and then the avoidance around not not telling friends and family that you have it or not telling your physicians exactly what you're experiencing, avoiding appointments because of it, um, can all make it um, can all make them jumbled, like anxiety, depression, and then whatever your medical condition can get all jumbled together, and it's hard to figure out um, how to respond to all of it. Because the way to respond effectively to anxiety and depression is often not counterintuitive, and then the symptoms of medical conditions are often mixed up in anxiety, in anxious and depressive reactions. So the way that you've been able to go towards it and not I don't know if it's not feel ashamed or like let yourself feel ashamed while you were getting more information. Um, sounds like it's just been a really, I don't know. Do you want to say more about whether you just let yourself feel ashamed or did the shame dissipate somehow?
1: I, I think it's kind of like, um, I don't know if I let, I don't know if it's that I let myself feel ashamed, but that, that's a, that's a nice suggestion too. I, I think it was more just realizing the, you know, realizing what's going on with shame uh, as a mechanism and, uh, and, you know, kind of like when I feel depressed, sometimes the move is to go actually get out in public, right, it's to go shopping, um, you know, because that's the opposite of what depression is telling me to do. I think shame is, is one that's a lot like that as well, you know, where, you know, if I'm feeling like, if I'm feeling embarrassed or, or ashamed of, of feeling a certain way, you know, exposing myself to, uh, to, to the, the potential judgment of other people, Um, is a good idea um, because, you know, it's, it's often actually a much safer place than I, than I uh, realized.
0: Yeah. The other thing that I just want to mirror back to you is your ability to describe anxiety, depression and your medical condition and how they're all both have similar sensation and symptoms and different ones um, is, is has greatly improved in the time that I've known you. Can you, so um, I think that's probably both a, a product of willingness to be vulnerable and actual practice and education. Um, do you want to say more about that change? Have you, ha- can you tell that you've changed in that way?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I didn't realize, uh, I didn't realize that that's what it looked like from the outside. Um, I know that from the inside, like certain, certain things just seem easier to deal with, uh, than they did before, um. And, uh, yeah, so, so, so thanks for saying that, first of all, because, yeah, I didn't realize that, that I had developed that skill enough that it was noticeable on the outside. But, um, but yeah, it definitely seems easier in a lot of ways to, um, if I'm feeling sick, to, uh, to have some compassion and just be like, okay, well, you know, then maybe I will have to um, stop working now and take a break. Like, I think start, we, we, did, we did work on that, you know, starting uh, two years ago. Of, of just balance. Balance is a key thing with work. Um, since a lot of my content is around work and achievement and things like that, ultimately, and, you know, it's kind of this, uh, you know, uh, various conditions that I have um, getting in the way of that. It's been important for me to, um, to be able to recognize, you know, when it's time to stop working um, and to be more okay with um, maybe not getting everything done, maybe not getting everything done perfectly.
0: Yes, that's great. I think it um, back to the hope conversation. I think what you just said is a really good example of why to maintain hope because many of these concepts seem so vague or elusive that it's hard to know. You know, there's so many workbooks out there, there's self help programs. You can do something like an individual therapy or be, join a group, and usually there's some kind of techniques or tips that you can grasp onto and, and try for a little while. And I think the example of setting boundaries related to work two years ago was, was a great place to start. Obviously, that's what I suggested two years ago. And now, on, like looking at you today, you have it all, um, you're able to process it all at the same time. So you're able to dis- identify, describe and label you know what's happening internally. You're able to set the boundary around it. You're able to have compassion towards yourself. You don't you see it as um, like just a process that you're going through, not something to be helpless or hopeless about. And all of those are different skills that a, a therapist might suggest to someone at different times. But the way that you can pull it all together in any given moment is really evidence of progress. Um, and I think in in terms of giving hope to other people um in any given moment that you're stuck if you can try to remember there might just be a lot of different steps to me getting out of whatever experience I'm in and I might have a good I might be able to describe what happened is happening but I don't know what strategies to use um, I might have strategies, but I'm not quite sure what my triggers are or I'm not when I not sure what is keeping me stuck. like there's just so many different variables that could get somebody stuck at any given time that another way to maintain hope is to just to think, maybe I just don't fully understand what's happening right now, and in the future I, I might have a clearer picture. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, that would be. Um that that would be a great attitude to have um and uh yeah like that might be a goal for me because um for you know everything i just described was kind of uh different than that in the sense that um, you know i was able to be more comfortable once i understood um i think it would be interesting if i could be comfortable without understanding
0: yeah i completely agree why don't we end on that thanks for your yeah. time jim yeah thank you Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.